Hello and welcome to the Only Boring People podcast. As always, I seek out guests that I find to be not only interesting, but interested. And today's guest is a very special one. Dr. Elaine Peggles is a historian and a professor of religion at Princeton University. Her best-selling book, The Gnostic Gospels, was named one of the 100 best books of the 20th century by the Modern Library. Professor Peggles has written several important and insightful books since, has given innumerable talks and addresses, and has appeared on several prominent podcasts and television shows, including The Colbert Report. And in 2016, she was awarded the National Humanities Medal from President Obama. I say all this only to say that Professor Elaine Peggles is our show's first heavyweight intellectual, and to say no- to say nothing, excuse me, of my previous guests. And I'm humbled that she take the time to speak with me in her home in Princeton. I'm embarrassed to admit that I have not yet worked out all the kinks of starting a podcast, even if only, even if it is only something of a hobby. Consequently, the audio is not great. I'm sorry in advance. My hope is that you can look past any lack of production quality. Uh, and instead enjoy the enduring wisdom of an absolute expert in her field. Uh, she's charming, sweet, painfully polite, and embodies a fervor and a zest for what she does that I can only hope to emulate in my own life. Without further ado, I give you Dr. Elaine Peggles. The question is, who are you? And, and who is Jesus? But in saying 50, there are three questions that I think are meant as a baptismal ritual. You see, saying 50. 50. In the Gospel of John. Yes. I think you've, you've got the right intuition exactly about consubstantial. Oh, yeah? I'm going to put this right on the floor if that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just to catch both of our voices. Yeah. Uh. And then I have a, a series of questions, okay. <laughs> if that's okay. So, question, so 50, Jesus said, if they say to you, where have you come from, say to them, we have come from the light, from the place where the light came into being by itself. See, this goes back to Genesis. Mm. Before the creation of the world, this text says, what was there? There was water and darkness. Right, the void. And a spirit. And then the first thing created is light. Right? Let there be light. Before there's a world. But this isn't ordinary light. It's primordial light. It's, it's, it's the divine energy. Hmm. So Jesus says, well, where do you come from? We'll say, we come from the light. The light hmm. that came into being at the beginning of time. You see that? I do. It's the translation. Is, Who are we? Are, we are its children. And we, we are, we are children of the light. We come from that, yeah, from that primordial light that existed before the world. Mm. And then he says to them, would you read the second question? 51 or? Yeah, 51, I think it is. His disciples said to him, when will the rest of, when will the rest for the dead take place and when will the new world come? He said to them, what you look forward to has already come, Uh, but you do not recognize it. Oh yes, that's true. Do you want to back up? Before that, what are the other questions? We have come from the light, from the place where the light came into being by itself, That's established itself, and appeared in their image. If they say to you, who are you, say, we are its children, and we are chosen of the living Father. If they ask you, what is the sign of your Father in you, say to them, it is movement and rest. Yes. What do you do so, with that? Well, in Genesis, okay. God moves, and he acts, and he rests. 
Interesting. Ah. So this is this is all about Genesis. It's all we come from the place where everything in the beginning came. God's energy, which is described as light, is in you, and hmm. he, he wants them to say. We're children of the light. But see, in John's Gospel, if you look in chapter 6, Jesus says, I came from above. You come from below. Mm. I am not from this world. You are from this world. Interesting. You know, and if you are, you're born in sin, and if you don't believe in me, you will die in sin. Okay. Yeah. This Gospel, which is very, very early, says, actually... Jesus says, you all come, you, you come from the light, where I came from, from up there, from that primordial light. Yeah. But you may not know that you do. So you have to understand that this is a baptismal ritual, second baptism, where you come to understand who you are. It's not mm. just that you with your name or me with my name, but we're both from the same place. Yeah. And we're both belong to the same family. And you speak of that second baptismal ritual. Yeah, yeah. What was the word for that again? Oh, they sometimes call it apolutrosis, but and that was condemned by by later churches. Yes, I'm thinking Irenaeus. 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 You but, really didn't seem like you liked him very much. Well, I didn't much in this book. Later, I came to appreciate much really? more. Interesting. What he was dealing with, which was persecution. Um, hmm. So I. So he had to establish. As I got older, I had more yeah, yeah, yeah. empathy for the bishop. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I That's so funny. But this is a different kind of text, and um, I think somebody thought it was very dangerous kind of teaching. Wow. Okay. And and see, I was around these evangelicals, and all they ever said is, "You must be born again, or you're going to hell." They're pretty blatant about that. Yes. You know, um, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and if you don't believe, you know, if you're not condemned, if you believe in him, but if you don't believe in him, you're already condemned. Right. Because you do not believe in the name of the only son of God. You cannot be a son of God. There's only one. Hmm. And John lays that out over and over and over. So that's... That's what I began to think the Gospel of Thomas was an early teaching. Yeah. Could it be a teaching of Jesus? I think it could, but we don't know. But Interesting. It, it could be, you know, rabbis in the first century usually had secret teachings. Right. You're, you're stealing all my questions here. Oh, okay. <laughs> what are the questions? Uh, I think we're past many of them. <laughs> <laughs> I just dashed you. I, well, you I appreciate so well. <laughs> I probably have four or five episodes, and my sister always calls me and she says, you need more context, and you need shorter questions. <laughs> so so my I was going to build context, and, you know, what, yeah, is, know. what is a heresy? Oh, yeah. What was so dangerous or heretical about the Gnostics? I was going to build context like that. Well, but. It's a good question, because, you know, the word in Greek means choice. Okay, right. I think some of the bishops thought choice wasn't good for people. Yeah. And one of my later questions is, why do you think some bishops or church fathers, as you call them sometimes, um, or as I've heard them called, why do you think they feared interpretation so much or choices of interpretation? Because um, I wrote about it later. Uh, Irenaeus was... 
a, a missionary from Syria. Mm. He was a protege of Bishop Polycarp, who was a staunch Christian in Syria. He was called the teacher of Asia, Polycarp, mm. and a very distinguished man. And Irenaeus was a young man. He sent to the rural, rough badlands of what is now France. Sure. <laughs> to these crude Gauls that didn't spoke a weird language, they couldn't speak Greek, mm. you know. So, um, but it was dangerous to be a Christian, as you know. So, there's a time in the reign of Marcus Aurelius, around 177, that Christians were rounded up in these little towns in what is now France, and taken to the magistrate and condemned to death. And they were people that Irenaeus knew. They were people in his town, Leon and Vienne. And many of them said, no, I'm not a Christian, because the penalty was public death in the arena. But the ones who, who refused to give up were uh, slaughtered. Mm. And it is a, there's a in a pub on the celebrate to celebrate the emperor's birthday. Sure. What better way to celebrate? Yeah, you have, you have. Well, the the point is, the way you celebrate the emperor's birthday is you, you buy gladiators who are slaves, mm. and you have them do sword fights. Sure. And one of them dies. You know that's how it is, and it's exciting. Okay. They, they said in the in the Colosseum you could see three hundred people die a day if it was a really spectacular show. Wow. Can you imagine. No, I cannot. I can't either. But but it's but people used to go to hangings and killings and executions. It's sure. It's it's exciting. And and the, and the Roman Empire was empire was full of it. So so if you were the emperor, you probably should get a lot of good gladiator shows, and wild animals like tigers and things to tear people apart. But that's expensive. Mm. So there was a petition from the governor of Asia Minor, which is now like Turkey, Lebanon, Syria, to Marcus Aurelius, the emperor, to say, um, we have condemned prisoners we could use in the arena instead of the gladiators, and, and we're having a inflation, and it's expensive, so could we use them sometimes, too, in, in, in the gladiator shows to celebrate your birthday? And he gave them permission. Mm. So Irenaeus was dealing with the fact that there were maybe 12 to 20 members of people he knew who were Just in this show. And, and there's there's a Acts of the Martyrs of Leon and Vienne, which is very mm. awful to read, you know. Um, but it, it's written about how they were killed. So he, he went to Rome to tell the Christians in Rome that we were all part of the same group. Because there are groups of little clusters of Christians all over the world. From He says from Germany and Spain to Africa. There are groups all over the place. And they read different Gospels sometimes, and they're not unified. So he wanted to connect them and make them part of a network, because his teacher Polycarp, who was, by the way, burned to death, Mm. in the public stadium in Syria when he was an old man, mm. burned alive. 
um, he he had a vision of a Catholic church, which means, as you know, a universal. universal. He said, well, the, the Christians in Syria, the Christians in Germany, the Christians in France and Africa and Spain are, we should all be part of the same network. So we have to figure out what we agree on, the basic denominator. Right? And the idea maybe was that that would pr provide some protection? Yes, and that it would provide a network that would be harder to break. I always think the of, first the, union. of the American revolutionary saying, we must all hang together or we shall surely all hang separately. Mm. I think that was how Miriam saw it. So he, among others, put together a statement. We believe in what? One God, Father Almighty, one Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord, and Holy Catholic Church. Okay. Mm. So th this is what we all believe. And anyone who deviates from that is, is, part, is outside. Because it was a defensive move to protect sure. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to say, when these people get killed horribly, in Lyon, the Christians in Rome know about it. When Polycarp is burned alive in the amphitheater in his hometown, Irenaeus knew about it and wrote about it. Somebody wrote the acts of the murder of Polycarp. So this strengthened people. The Fiori had a network. And I think they were trying to create protection. So orthodoxy as some sort of a survival mechanism. I think it was. Interesting. That's what made me, when I realized more about right. the persecutions, realize that Irenaeus is trying to do his job as bishop right. and keep these people safe. Interesting. Isn't it? It is. And then, when you get Constantine's conversion, and he wants to, he, he goes to the Eusebius, do you know Eusebius? His, his, his favorite bishop is in Palestine. Mm. He doesn't know much about the Christians constantly. He goes to Eusebius and says, okay, get me 50 copies of the sacred books. Well, which ones? Sure. We don't yet have a New Testament. We have books a lot of people use. Mm. But there's not, a stand, there's not a canon, which means a standard collection. Right? It's not a canon. So Eusebius then has to scramble and say, well, <laughs> These okay, in. these books, a lot of people read Matthew, a lot of people read John, um, Luke. These are easier than Thomas to read because they're narrative stories, right? A lot of people read Paul, the, the, the Epistle of James or John or whatever. So the, he, he had a list of, these are the recognized books, these are the the books we don't like, but the books we recognize are supposed to be the ones we read in church. This is, we read for everybody, these, these books. The other books could be esoteric books, they could be mystical books, but you don't read them in a worship service, like you read Luke, right? Mm. You read maybe the Gospel of Truth in a monastery. Interesting. As devotional for the for the monks. Privately. That's where they were found, in a monastery library. Interesting. But then the bishop Athanasius at that time wanted to create conformity in all over Europe and he took all over 
East. And he said, you only read these, only read the books on my list. All the others, they're not all bad, but they can lead you in the wrong direction, so just don't do it. Mm. So there's an establishment of, of, a, of an organization that then supports the church because it says you have to be saved through Jesus Christ. You cannot find divine energy within yourself that connects you with God. Because you might just do that out in the desert all by yourself. Sure. But you need to come to our church and you need to be baptized in our church and you need to have the sacraments in our church. This is the, the church, and then Irenaeus is the one who's coined the phrase, outside the church there is no salvation. And yet all the prophets seem to wander into the desert. <laughs> and a lot of the Christian fathers of the church did too. Interesting. You know, like Anthony of Egypt. So I've been talking too much. No, that's, that, that's the, the point. <laughs> that's the great. Uh, I've heard you speak before about what you call the public teachings of Jesus versus the private or esoteric teachings yeah. of Jesus. I'm, I'm very proud of them. I feel like you're bumping into a lot of these questions. This is great. And you compare it to more esoteric, even mystical teachings of other traditions, the Sufis in yeah. the Islamic tradition and the Kabbalists in the, in the Jewish, I think you've already mentioned, yeah. right? What in your mind is the connection between the Gnostic teachings, um, of course it's a big bucket, but some of the Gnostic teachings and mysticism? It's a good question. Gnostic is a big basket, as you said. Sure. So I don't use the word anymore. We used it originally because we didn't know what else to call them. So now you point to specific Gospels. There are specific Gospels that have to do with understanding, with insight, it means. It's not mental knowledge. It's gnosis, is heart knowledge. You know, it's like, who are you? You said heart knowledge? Yeah, it's, what language? Do you speak Spanish or German or French? I took French growing French. up, but okay, I French. might embarrass myself. You know connaître? Yes, to and know and to, yes. Okay. Well, to be familiar with and to know. Savoir is, you know mathematics, right? Right. That's intellectual. And connaître would be to know Connaître, do you know each other? Yes. Do you, do you know Joe? Yes. And this is connaître, this mm. kind of gnosis. That's the word recognize has gnosis in it. Oh, interesting. See, it's G-N-O. Recognize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I recognize that person. Mm. And that's Gnosis. It's recognizing who you are. So it's a personal heart knowledge. It's not a mental knowledge. Mysticism has to do with what you talked about. That sense of oh, a kind of mysterious connection between the divine and ourselves, right? Yeah. But it's a direct connection, isn't it? I, I guess I don't know. I, I once sat down with a, just randomly, I was friends with someone who was a Sufi. And he had a friend who was a, I studied the Kabbal in a Hasidic community. So you have this sort of <laughs> mystical Jew and yeah. this Sufi monk for, I don't know what they go, a Sufi. And both of them would tell me all the time that religion was sort of a husk that needed to, to bring you into something or birth you into something, but ultimately would be left behind. And the way that I would always understand that was that all religions 
I mean, how could you have it that these two men of different religious traditions could agree on so much? And I sort of, in, I sort of interpreted that husk metaphor as there's sort of being a well water of religion that the mystics would would sort of be swimming in, if that makes sense. I think that's true. And one thing that's prohibited in orthodoxy. Uh, I well, I got my first job in New York. Um, and the person who hired me was the son of the chief rabbi of London. Wow. Who was who knew a lot about the Dead Sea Scrolls. And he said, he said, the Jewish mystic can say, I and thou. Right? Martin Buber, he talks about, did you ever read the book, I and Thou? I, I've heard, I never read it, but I've heard it, but I thought that was also a um, Upanishad. I are thou or something. No, that's is that what, different? That's what that's what my this mentor said to me. He said, "The Jewish mystic can say, I and thou. That is, oh, I'm I a human. I can relate to the divine source. Oh, I see. But you cannot say the other. You cannot say thou art that. I am thou. That's forbidden for a Catholic, right? You and can't yet say that's... I am Christ. You don't say that, right? And yet that's exactly what Christ says." In some of these texts. In some of these texts. Yes. And that is mystical, right? It's and he's that, killed for that. It's that identification mysticism. Interesting. That the churches prohibit, both Catholic, Protestant, any of them. Hmm. Except maybe the Quakers who talk about the inner light. Hmm. They talk about finding the inner light within you. And the founder of the Quaker movement was a English Puritan who was going to become a priest in the Presbyterian Church. And then he said, no, he had an inner experience um, of, of some internal, he called it an, an awakening, hmm. an opening, he called it. And he said, I don't need to be ordained in a Protestant church. I don't need a Catholic church. It's all the same thing. He said, all I need is, is this inner light experience. And and he went around here. He, he lived here in Princeton really? now, and he was in prison. He was put in prison by the, the Presbyterian Christians in, in, in England for his crazy teaching. But he came here, and there's a if you walk a mile into the woods, you see a Quaker meeting house where the Quakers would meet. And they talk about the inner light. And it's heresy from the point of view of any Orthodox church. Interesting. But it's very much like this. Huh. A coworker of mine misquoted Karl Rahner, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, in a way where I actually like the misquote better than the original. I think what Rahner said is the Christian of the future will be a mystic or he will not exist at all. And what my coworker said to me when I mentioned that I was looking at your books and, and the Gnostic texts, and I was asking him questions about mysticism, he said, and I think he misquoted, but I like it, the church of the future will be a church of mystics or will not be at all. Uh, I point to that because you, you allude to something along the lines of certain Gnostic teachings be potentially leading people to actually not need Jesus, I think, as you put it in an interview. I, I, that's probably misleading. Unless, if you understand 
what the Gospel of Thomas teaches, I think it teaches that Jesus, he says, um, at the end, he's speaking to Thomas, whose name means the twin. Sure. And he's, but he's Jesus says to him. He right. just doesn't know it. He says, um, if you drink from my mouth, which is accept his teaching, you will become like me. Mm. And I will become whoever drinks from my mouth will become like me. I will become that person and he will become like me. Um, and the mysteries will be revealed to him. So there's an identification mysticism mm. in Thomas, just as you say. Right. So I think you said earlier, it would be heretical to say in the Catholic Church or in Christianity that I am Jesus, and yet there's something of that in Thomas. If I'm hearing well, that. Jesus says, you and I are part of the same being, which is greater than either of us. Right. Interesting. That Jesus is speaks as a as a, a, a the way that Buddha speaks as an awakened being. Mm. You could be awakened, and I could too, but most of us aren't. He is. Mm. Um, here he, he speaks as somebody who's who knows who he is, but fully knows his deep connection with the divine source. He says it comes from it. He goes back to it. But then so do we all if we know. Right. And I think in Mary Magdalene, if the, the first question, if I remember this correctly. Yes. I think this really, this is when I first started yes. thinking I need to read more about this. At the end of Neon, will all matter be destroyed? This is Mary's question to her master. Jesus answered, all of nature, its forms and creatures are interrelated. All will, all will be returned to their original source. Yes, and if you look at saying 77 of Thomas, okay, just look at that one. It's, Jesus speaks. Jesus said, you said 77, yeah, correct? 77. I am the light that is over all things. I am all. From me all came forth, and to me all extends. Split a piece of wood, and I am there. Lift up the stone, and you will find me there. Yes. Okay. So I am I am the light. If it is actually before all things, it means before the world is created. When God said, let there be light. It's, there's no world yet. There's no right. sun, no moon. It's just divine energy. Hmm. So he speaks as that divine energy that pervades the, the rocks, the stones, the stars. And would also pervade all people? Yes. Okay. But they may not know it. I mean, this, right. like Buddhism. And that's is, the gnosis. That's... Or, or Sufism or Hasidism. Is, Hasidism is also very much about the primordial life that came into the world and that is concealed in the forms of things. Hmm. And that you have to understand the energy and everything is this divine source hmm. um, and I think this is maybe connected with it because it's Jesus was after all a first century Jewish teacher he could have known some of these secret traditions which weren't allowed to be written down but when they were Christians called them heresy this this for example right and that them would be the Gospel of Thomas. And the yes, sort of, and, and others like it. Right. And the legend with Thomas specifically is that Jesus whispered something secretly to him. 
Yes. And what did he say? Well, I was going to ask you, but I could guess what, what do you, you what, might what, say. What, what, guess. We're all guessing. That's right, right, right. But, but I think if I'm reading you correctly, and I've, I've watched a bunch of your uh, lectures and interviews, it would be this, and I might not be articulating it exactly correct, but this inner relation. How, and how that would you say Jesus it? would say something like, I, you and I, I think you said it earlier, you and I are something of the same, or that light is in yes. each of us. He would have said, um, the guesses that scholars make is, um, what is it? I am, I am you. Just to remind them, 15 minutes we should right. leave. Right, got it. Thank you. I am, I am, I am you. Uh, no, I am thou, and um, that is, that he is also from a divine source, that you are also from the same source. Actually, in Thomas, Jesus says, you, you have drunk from the same stream I drank from, mm. which is the divine energy. Mm. So, yes, it's exactly as you say, and it's about the sense that that presence of Christ is, is not only in one being, mm. but is the manifestation of the divine energy, okay. which could potentially be seen in anyone who becomes aware of it. And I might be making too many jumps here, so feel free to slow me down. We have to make jumps. This is all about, <laughs> this is about intuition. You give this text to some people and they'll say, huh, this doesn't make any sense. Right. And you give it to people with certain intuition and they say, oh. <laughs> right, 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 right. So you, you have in the other Gospels, the kingdom of heaven is a place, right? That's how it looks. And then in Thomas, correct me if I'm wrong, but the kingdom of heaven then is, is sort of a psychological place where you're aware of that interconnectedness. Well, read saying three. <laughs> <laughs> Luke says at one point, 1721, the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus said, if, if your leaders say to you, look, the kingdom is in heaven. It's up there. Then the birds of heaven will precede you. If they say, this, yeah, if it, it is in the sea, then the fish will precede you. <laughs> rather will get there first. <laughs> the kingdom is inside you and outside you. When you know yourselves, then you will be known. And you will, be, you will understand that you are children of the living Father. But if you do not know yourselves, then you live in poverty and you are poverty. Yes, and it isn't knowing that intellectual knowledge. Mm. It's when you'll be known by God, you know, when you know who you are. But it, it's, Luke says the same thing. Um, the kingdom of God is within you, among you. That's Luke seventeen twenty one. Mm. Now, I don't know whether Jesus taught that. I don't think it's impossible that he did, but... I do find it very powerful teaching, and it's early Christian teaching. And the way it was censored is that it doesn't really work to, to found a church on that. You see what I mean? But it was not censored in Luke. No, it wasn't. It's still in there. Yeah. Since the kingdom through. of God is among you, is within you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to translate quite that that Interesting. That Interesting. Interesting. Um, and then, if you look at saying 24, can I just suggest this? 
because not all of these texts are consistent with each other, not all of these sayings. There are just certain ones that sort of jump out at you. Sure. He said to them, whoever had, his disciples said, show us the place where you are, for we must seek it. He said to them, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. There is light within a person of light, and it lights up the whole world. If it does not shine, it is dark. And then you have that light again. Or everything is dark. If it doesn't shine, the world is dark. Interesting. Okay. My last question, there's really no way to sum this up. So my last question in no way attempts to be a summary. I think earlier I envisioned the, the wrapping up question asking you about your uh, your sort of being born again when you were much younger. Uh, I think, were you a kid? I was 14. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a kid? I was thought I was pretty cool. Well, I guess, I guess I'll revisit that question. Is there something... Was there a spark there that you continue to seek in your more erudite pursuit? Yes, I think so. Because yeah. I was brought up, you know, to think that religion was only for uneducated people. My father had given it all up. Yeah. For science. It doesn't make this stuff doesn't make any sense. Darwinism, right? Yeah. Who who, right. who needs religion? Right. That's passe. We've got science. So when I went to that evangelical church and Billy Graham was a very compelling preacher and there's this beautiful music and it just he says you know you can be born again you can be transformed and it was it was wonderful it opened up something that was very powerful yeah and I knew there was something much more there I would imagine some scholars get so deep into this stuff that they think, oh, look, it's a, it's a series of political moves, and oh, look, it's, you know, historical tides producing this church. And yet, I would imagine, as you're going through the same paths, you have this experience in mind as a kid of, actually, I know what it's like to have had a spiritual... I'm sure that's not the only one that's, you had, but... I love what, the way you're teaching. That's what's so interested me about what you wrote. Because I was just saying to my class yesterday, I have 230 people, we're talking about the resurrection. And, and I said, you know, this is not a historical discussion yeah. about the resurrection stories. Uh, this is about a mystery. We don't know what happens mm. there. You know, Paul says it's a mystery. Transformation of some kind. Um, because often the teaching of religion can kind of flatten it. You sure. know what I mean? I mean, yes, I look at the politics of it. Right. And the institutionalization of it, which is a very different story. Yeah, I saw that in Which isn't with... to say it's all bad. I go to the Episcopal Church here, and it's got a lot of the same stuff, just a different head of the church. Yeah. But there's also tremendous power in those traditions, hmm. which I love. So I, I think it's important when we're teaching religion, hmm. as you are, and I am, that we not sort of, you know, beat the life out of it so that sure. it looks like just a plot to control people. Yeah, 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 Like Irenaeus, it's not that simple. Right. This is a man with a serious mission trying yeah. to save people's lives. Interesting. And the way he does it is he does what the Jews call put a fence around the Torah, you know, he sort of, these are the boundaries. You've got to do it this way. <laughs> but... You know, he's doing something in a very critical situation. Yeah. Wow. But so, yeah, I do think 
why do we do this? You know, it, it's about some other reality. I mean, it's about different dimensions of reality. Right. I think. And yet they're always manifest on a terrestrial realm where there's politics and money yeah. and... Yeah. Did you did you ever read the work of James Cohn? No. You don't know. Okay. No, I don't know James. Cohn. Um, he's, he's a black liberation theologian who was a very good friend, and who was completely different coming from the African American Episcopal Church. Hmm. All of his books here. Um, no, there's some other reality that you find in some of these spiritual teachers, you know? hmm. but you can't sort of capture it and label it and brand it. <laughs> Right. And make sure that only your brand is the one that works. Even if you're doing that in the name of protection. Yeah. I in mean, the case of I think hands. people find great solace and spiritual power in Catholic tradition, in Episcopal tradition, mm. Quaker tradition. Sure. Or Jewish or Sufi, right? But yeah, I'm sort of with you on that. I, okay. I better. Thank you so much. Well, it's so much fun to talk with yeah, you. Yeah, I knew from your letter. That oh I yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I I went back and looked at the letter multiple times and thought, what was it about this letter that let that well, she it's, agreed it's to because, talk to me? Because you're really a teacher, and and you're asking the questions that matter. I love it. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. So. I'm glad you could do it. Yeah. Uh,